This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Uh, well, some years ago, as a way to protest what was going on among her people, uh, the Kurds, a woman lit herself on fire and died. This practice, which is surprisingly prevalent among Kurdish women, and some of the people that we encountered and uh, met with last week are Syrian Kurds. A Kurd is a group of people, about 40 million. They don't have an actual country, but they have a, a region. There are Syrian, Iranian, Iraqi, and Turkish Kurds. They have their own distinct language and distinct culture. We're celebrating this uh, memorial of this woman when we were there last week. This was one of the biggest holidays. I asked the guy who was uh, sitting in his living room, Mahmoud, I said, What's, what are the holidays that you celebrate? And he said, oh, tomorrow is the day that we commemorate this event. And I said, well, tell me what happened. And he said, a woman, and this is Nick who was translating for us, uh, said that she lit herself on fire because she wanted to protest what was going on with their people. And so they commemorate this um, every year uh, near this celebration of this holiday called Norus. And it's connected to spring, and it reminds them of the struggle that they face as a displaced people without an official country. They've been oppressed for many years. And this holiday, they, they light fires to symbolize that the darkness is ending and then the light is coming. But it also reminds them of this sacrifice that a woman made for her country. And I was struck by their desire to, to live in peace. They who are oppressed uh, do not turn to, to anger or to revenge, but instead desire peace. Another one of their leaders has been imprisoned in Turkey for, for decades, and he is known for having uh, doves land on him because he seeks to be a man of peace. But the challenge for them is that even though they would like to move on with life, having come from Syria and now living in, in Lebanon, is that they're stuck in this situation. Right? There's no turning back for them. They can't go back to Syria because it's worse there than it is for them in Lebanon. They, they'd like to move forward because they want the same things that you want. They want to be able to have a career, to work, to raise a family, to have children, and to see their children uh, learn and grow and flourish. They want the same things that we do. But for them, there's no turning back. You think about this in the same way that Jesus came into Jerusalem. It's no turning back for Jesus at this point in his ministry. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, it's interesting because this is a departure from what Jesus has been saying all along throughout the Gospels. Often he's, he's saying, hey, don't tell anybody about what just happened. His ministry is on the down low. But now, as he rides in to Jerusalem, he's allowing the people to worship him. He's not saying, hey, put that off until a later time. He says, now is the hour when I'm coming. There's no turning back for Jesus. We learn from the text that a large crowd has come to the Passover feast. This is the event, remember, that uh, commemorates where God sent the, or passed over all of the doorposts that were with the blood of the lamb that had been slain and that they posted. So they were set free from Egypt. And so this is a great celebration in Jerusalem. Everyone's gathered. They're excited because this is a big, important holiday for them. 
The Lord didn't kill their firstborn, and He delivered them through these different, uh, these amazing plagues. And so thousands of people would come into Jerusalem, and they would celebrate with this giant feast. And this year, the crowd was celebrating Jesus' entrance into the Jerusalem because they were anticipating a new kind of deliverance. They had been oppressed by the Roman government. They'd seen him doing these miracles, and they believed this is the Messiah, this is the guy, if he can raise someone from the dead, and if he can make food out of nothing, then he's going to be the greatest general we've ever had, right? If we're going to have an army, this is the kind of guy that you want to lead it, to make food, to provide for the military, and to raise soldiers from the dead. This is the kind of guy that we want. And we notice that the Roman government is, being ang- is anxious about his popularity. We see that the religious leaders are nervous about his popularity. And so the people are anticipating that here, here comes Jesus. We're excited about what he's going to do for us. And so he enters into the city with the palms all around. They would wave those as a sign of victory, a sign of peace. They chanted, Hosanna, which means save us, because they're ready for Jesus to save them from the oppression of the Romans. They're calling him the king of Israel. Finally, our king will be anointed. He even fulfills these prophecies from Zechariah 9, riding on a donkey. He doesn't come riding as a warlord, on a, but on a horse, but a donkey for peace. And he allows them to give them him this honor. But he knows, he knows what's coming. He knows there's no turning back, but he knows what's, uh, what lies ahead. He knows that they're going to abandon him in just a few days. And here's what he said. This is what he's come for. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You see, Jesus hadn't come to the earth to really gain a following while he was there. In fact, there were probably only a couple hundred people after the resurrection that were still with him. Jesus had not come to be famous because he was always telling people, hey, don't tell them what I just did for you. He was not concerned with connecting with the rich, trying to find the players, connecting with the people who were insiders. He spent his time with the outcasts and the downtrodden, the broken, the losers. Jesus didn't even come simply to teach them about the kingdom of God, although he did that. He came to represent to them and for them what the kingdom of God was really like. And he demonstrated the kingdom of God by laying his life down as a sacrifice. You see, Jesus understood the mission that he was on and the call that God had given to him. And that was to reveal the glory of God. Not by riding in on a powerful horse, not by getting the most followers, but by suffering, by dying. Jesus knew that the only way to really have a life was to give your life, to give up your life. And he says, whoever loses his life, that means whoever stops clinging to the things of this world, to their possessions, their dreams, their rights, if you let go of those things, then you'll gain something even greater. But if you cling to those things, you cling to your reputation, you cling to your ideas and dreams and hopes so tightly that you can't see the kingdom of God, you're going to lose those. But whoever gives up their life will find life. He says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep their life for eternity. 
But the problem with this crowd is the same problem all throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus' physical actions that he's uh, demonstrating to people always point to something more significant, something greater, something spiritual, and they're often not able to see it. We remember in the story of uh, John chapter 3 when Jesus comes to, or Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's talking about being reborn in the Spirit. And he says, well, what do you mean I've got to be born again? I don't understand. Am I supposed to go back to my mom's womb? Jesus is talking to something about him about something greater and more significant. And we're the same way. We often are thinking about what's going on in my physical life. What are the goals and dreams and objectives that I have for my career, for my family, for my reputation? And we fail to see how God wants to use the difficulty and the challenges that we face in this life to shape and form our character and to help us to let go of those things that we hold on to. And they're often good things. No one is saying raising a family is a bad idea. No one is saying working diligently at your job is bad. No one is saying these things are bad. But they can become ultimate things in our lives when we cling too tightly to them. And we fail to see that our lives are like Jesus' life, called to be on mission to serve Him. See, Jesus is inviting us into the same kind and way of life that he expresses. It's a countercultural way of life. It's a life that embraces hardship, that embraces difficulty, that embraces discomfort. Because you know in your own life, those things that have been most challenging to you, the hardest experiences of your life, they've been opportunities for you to really grow. Because you realize, I don't have a solution to this problem. And yet it turns you from yourself and your own solutions to the God who is the solution. Those things that we find that are hard move us to trust in God more and more. You see, we have to be willing to, to give up our best life now so that we can embrace a life in eternity that begins as soon as we trust in Jesus. A life of flourishing and a life of hope, a life of service and of love, a life where we're not bound by the things of this world. While Palm Sunday is a celebration of the coming King, we know that our, our merriment and our celebration, the palms, you see the children come down, we're excited. And imagine the excitement of those people. They thought something was going to happen. But Jesus knew that something different was going to happen, and yet that was all part of his plan. That was all part of his purpose. You know, it's interesting because we call this week Holy Week. And yet the most unholy thing that's ever happened is that an innocent man went to the cross to pay for the sins of broken, guilty people. How is that holy? Well, Jesus makes it holy because he is the one that can take the worst possible thing that's ever happened in all of history and make it glorious. He can take the worst possible thing that you've ever thought or said or done and make it glorious. He can redeem those areas of pain and struggle. He can cover your sin and your guilt. He can give you a new lease on life, a new vision, a new ministry, a new way of understanding yourself and the world around you as you trust in Him. No turning back. See, Jesus is the Lamb who delivers. He is the one who shed His blood that goes over the doorpost that sets us free so that we're not found guilty, but we're found righteous instead. No turning back. Uh, some years ago, uh, a vase that was sealed was found in a mummy pit in Egypt by this uh, traveler from England named uh, Wilkinson, and he brought it to a British museum. And there was a librarian there um, actually broke the, uh, the vase accidentally, 
and they discovered in it there was a few grains of wheat and one or two peas that were old and wrinkled and hard as a stone because it had been preserved in this, uh, this mummy pit. Well, the peas were uh, planted carefully under glass in 1844, and at the end of 30 days, these old seeds began to spring up into new life. They had probably been buried in that vase 3,000 years before, maybe even in the time of Moses, and they had slept all that time. Maybe it looked as though they had been dead, and yet when they were buried, they came to life. If they hadn't been buried, they would have sat in that vase, preserved, never bringing forth the life that God had intended them to bring. It was only when they died by going into the ground that God would powerful would, would work to bring them to life, to be able to flourish and to be the thing that they were called to be. Since they needed to die to come to life. You see, when Jesus calls you and he calls me to come and die... It's not the same kind of death that we normally think of. It's not, it's not a, a, a terrible, ruinous life. It's, a, it's an invitation to die to ourselves, to die to this world, to see that there's something greater. There's something more, more worthwhile to live, and that's to live in His presence and in an abundance. Not with material possessions, not with great reputations, not with all the success of the world, but in the very success of His presence. To know that this God has come for you. He's come for me. He's come for all those who would, would say yes to Him. To give us guidance, to give us hope, to sacrifice Himself, to give us freedom, and to give us joy. And so when we say yes to the invitation to come and die, we're like that old wrinkled seed, broken and hard by the world and yet we've come to find life and to be given life by the God who loves us because we know this deep down in our hearts there, there's no amount of money that really gives us security there's no amount of things that give us the sense that we don't need more things uh, there's no amount of satisfaction that we really get from our kids there's no amount of satisfaction that you get from getting a good grade or scoring the winning goal because there's always a next semester. There's always a next competition. There's always another level to get to. And if we're always wanting to get to the next level, we fail to know that God loves us just exactly as we are. He doesn't want to leave us that way, but he wants to invite us into his presence. You know, work is meant to bless us. It's meant to serve others. Money can be used to alleviate suffering. Children are a joy as they glow, grow and flourish. Good grades and touchdowns can be celebrated. But they can't be ultimate things because they're always going to be a disappointment. And so when you're willing to say to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I'm all in with you. No turning back then you have to be ready for what Jesus is going to do because he's going to accomplish his mission. He is the one who is going to accomplish his mission. And just like the people that gather on Palm Sunday, Jesus' mission is something bigger, something greater than we can ask or imagine. Because so often we're asking him, Lord, help me out with this situation that's here. But he wants to help us out with this situation that's here within our hearts to realign ourselves and our lives and our families and our work and our church and our country according to his purposes for his sake and for his glory. That's a wonderful invitation. And so anyone who says, yes, Jesus, I'm, I'm no turning back. I'm not turning back to anyone but you because you hold the keys to life. You are the great God. And you know how we can trust him? Because Jesus said, no turning back. He knew what was before him. He knew what was coming. And he still went anyway. 
He said, I am going to follow you, Lord. Wherever you call me to go, I'm going to trust you. And because he did that, then we can trust him. Because he's never going to let us go. He's never going to let us fall. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. This isn't about getting it right and having the answers and, and figuring life out. It's about saying, yes, Lord, I know that you love me and you've come for me. Show me what you want me to be. Show me who you've called me to be. It's amazing when we say yes to Jesus, no turning back, what can actually happen in our lives. Francis's father uh, was furious. He had endured his son's wild living, but Pietro Bernadone would not allow Francis to squander the family's wealth on the poor. He dragged him before the bishop of Assisi for a ruling. Imagine your dad bringing you before the bishop uh, for a ruling. Uh, he was a silk merchant, Bernadone, and he had plans for his son to take over the family business. But in 1201, Francis left home seeking adventure as a soldier. He was captured, he was imprisoned, and later ransomed. And at one point in his life, he heard a voice say, Is it better to obey the servant or to obey the Lord? And then when he answered to God, he said, Lord, what was it that you would have me to do? He was essentially saying, Lord, no turning back. So he went home and he waited, and as he waited, he just began to be overwhelmed by the emptiness of his life. He made a pilgrimage to Rome, and on the steps of St. Peter's Basilica, he exchanged his clothes with a beggar, and he begged for his own dinner. Later, he heard a voice from God saying, go and rebuild my house. And so he went to his father's store, <laughs> and he gathered up as much stuff as he could, including the horse, and he sold the beautiful fabrics, and he sold the horse to give them to those who were in need. And again, his father was angry and said, you're going before the bishop. The bishop was understanding of his decisions, but he said, look, these things weren't yours to give away. So he ruled against him. So guess what Francis did? He stripped down naked and laid his clothes at his father's feet. He renounced his family ties and his inheritance, and he declared in his heavenly father's trust to provide. There was no turning back. Thus began the Franciscan movement, which spread all over the world. And I think we have a hospital down here named St. Francis, right? Julie is a nurse there. His ministry, his legacy lives on. Because what did he say to Jesus? No turning back. I'm going to rely upon you, Lord, to provide everything for me. What's God calling you to leave behind? What's the thing in life that you've been looking to for your significance and for your joy and for your hope? It's not a bad thing. And it's not saying to abandon that ministry or that uh, calling as a mom or a dad or to be a worker in your community. But it's to say, Lord, how can I leave that behind and trust you more fully? To say, no turning back, God. No matter what it takes, I'm in with you because, Jesus, you're the one who went all the way. You're the one who went to the cross so that I could have life and not be consumed by these things. Is it, what do you need to walk away from? You need to walk away from a substance. You need to walk away from a computer screen or a phone screen because what you're taking in on that screen is not providing life and significance for you. Have you been hurt by the wounds of a friend or by a people or by a family member? Do you need to, to say no turning back to Jesus as you forgive? 
Have you been focusing on a life that's all about your goals and your mission instead of saying, Lord, give me your mission and allow me to use the gift and talents that I have to accomplish your purposes? You see, there was a woman, a Kurdish woman from Syria, who was willing to give up her life for what she thought was a great cause because it was for the sake of her country and her life is being celebrated even to this day. Are you willing to give up your life, essentially uh, to die, so that you might find true life in this life and in the one to come? Jesus is inviting you to say, no turning back. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.